started this morning. Welcome everybody to Hope Builders. Glad to have you here. We'll read our verse together. Verses. So I need your help. It's a little bit longer passage, so read with me. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Doesn't that sound like good to you? Yeah. You know, I, I, let me just say, um, it's a rare thing. I, I want to praise the men in this room. Okay? I know not all of you are involved because you've got different things going on in your life. You've got other things happening. But anytime that around 20 plus guys are willing to get together for a men's group, that's a pretty awesome thing. We've been doing this for years. And so uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. And I encourage the men, if you're not engaged in something, in accountability, in fellowship, come out to one of these groups. And I'm thrilled that Daryl is going to be able to, to start that back up on April 6th, and uh, um, that will, that's just going to be wonderful. I also want to say, uh, you, you never want to just not be grateful, amen? When God is good, you need to say something. And so I was thinking of it, and I said, I should have said something. Um, every week, Liberty University puts out on Wednesday a, a COVID dashboard. Of every single person that is has, they don't put names, it's just numbers. Who has COVID, and whether it's students or staff or faculty, and then who's quarantined. I, I looked this past Wednesday. We have 20,000 students and employees in and around the campus of Liberty University and in our community. There was one student with COVID. That's it. On the entire campus, I think five. Were, yeah, praise the Lord. We had a phenomenal semester with very low numbers every single week. Um, and so we are so grateful for the protection of the Lord. Chapter 8 of, of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, is the final chapter where he focuses primarily on the gospel or the effects of the gospel and how the gospel literally changes life and how it impacts you as the believer, me as a, a believer in Christ. And so when I finish chapter eight, that will be the end of this series. Uh, obviously I could go through nine through 16 and, and go through a lot of great doctrines and teachings, but I think for the focus of the gospel, that's where we'll end it. So next Sunday will be my last Sunday on this series and we'll begin a new one as we prepare for Easter and getting ready for that. Um, but Romans 8, uh, again, begins this understanding uh, of what has transpired because of what God did in our life through Jesus Christ. Satan, again, is that attacker. Think about it in your own life, even since becoming a follower of Christ. How many times you've been mentally, emotionally attacked into wondering or questioning, doubting, maybe even your own salvation. There may be times when you would say to yourself, you know what, uh, you know, how, how can a Christian thought or think that or do that? 
or do that more than once. And I, again, I want to remind you, I'm not trying to minimize our sin in the least. Okay? How shall we that died to sin, Romans 6.1, live any longer in it? Okay? That's not the point here. The point, though, for us, yes, um, our passion and the desire of our hearts should be holiness, holiness, holiness. Every day I pray, God, help me to die to myself today. I want to live for you 100%. That's my passion. That's the Holy Spirit. Not, it's not the flesh. It's not Lou. It's the Holy Spirit going, hello, you're a child of God. Live like one. Okay? But at the same time, when we think through that principle that God has saved us and God has transformed us, how, how that impacts us, how we think through that is huge. And how we have confidence in that, in that belief that we are a child of God. And we should not condemn ourselves, but we should judge ourselves. Okay? If you judge yourself, Scripture says you will be what? Judged. So in other words, we become the judge based on the Holy Spirit's leading in our life to judge what we do, good and bad. Okay? And we go, okay, I should have said that. I should have done that. I shouldn't think that way. I, I, that's bad thinking. Or as uh, Cheryl's dad, when he would preach, used to say, it's stinking thinking. Okay? Get rid of the stinking thinking in your life and live for the Lord. The verse that I've chosen out of this chapter that I think is the most powerful is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I've added the New King James Version of this translation, or King James, if you will, uh, because of the second part, because I think it's important to understand uh, this in relationship to when you go through translations, etc. We'll get to that here in a moment. Okay, so in chapters 1 through 3, Paul's teaching us that everyone is condemned because of their sin. It's a recap. All right, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Whether you do or not, that's not consequential. <laughs> in chapters 3, in part 3 and then through 6, Paul teaches us that whoever accepts Christ as their Savior are no longer condemned but declared righteous. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, someone read that for me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and again, the word justified means to declare what? Righteous, Righteous or holy. You've been declared, not made. He's not, poof, you're holy. He, it's a declarer to that. It's a judge act. Okay, it's, it's a judgment in which, uh, like Jesus... And when they're going through his, the, that trial and, and, uh, and they're trying to figure out, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this situation? And he, he gives the, the crowd, he thinks, I can appease the crowd. Okay? Um, once every year, they release a prisoner. Right? And so he's wanting to release a prisoner to maybe, because he, he, he understands, he, he knows Jesus is innocent. This is a sham. This is a mock trial. This is a joke. These guys have accused him falsely. And all of a sudden he says, I, I can release somebody to you. 
And he says, do you want me to release Jesus to you? And they, who did they ask for? Barabbas. Barabbas. Who was a murderer. The, and he, at that appointment, at that, po at, at that appointment, he justifies Barabbas. Not Jesus, but who? Barabbas. No, not Jesus. Jesus didn't declare him righteous. Who declared him to be righteous? No, I'm the law. Pilate. Pilate. Pilate says, you're no longer under the law. You're released, even, in, even though he was a murderer. And that's the idea, though. They understood this idea. They're declared righteous. They're no longer under the penalty of the law. They're free. And that's what God does for us. And because of that, we have peace with God. In chapters 6 through 7, Paul teaches us to choose righteous living. Evidence of sanctification. By yielding to God by his spirit. Someone read Romans 6, 12 to 14 for me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And I think one of the key words out of this, okay, as a follower of Jesus, and I know there's all kinds of stuff up here today. They did this just for our class, by the way. <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> Offer. Offer. In other words, choose. Choose. You have, and I have a choice every single day. What will we choose? Will we choose the flesh or will we choose the spirit? God is calling us to offer ourselves not to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That we are living out who we have been called to be, the child of God, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a called out one, a sanctified person in Christ. Now in chapter 8, Paul teaches us that we're secure in Christ because we do not walk after the flesh but after the spirit. Romans 8, 4 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And that's the theme, the idea here. Because the idea is, as, he's, as Paul is writing this, is that, that the righteous requirements of the law would be met through Christ. Not by us. What was the righteous requirement of the law? Well, Leviticus 11, 44 and 45 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy. Because I am holy. A righteous requirement of the law was to be holy. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Leviticus 19, 18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against, uh, against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. And so the idea of the righteous requirement of the law was holiness in how we love God and how we love people. Those are two pivotal things within the Christian life. And I think that's why 
as we went through history, some things occurred. We have a new, new position. Okay? Because we live by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Are you a follower of Christ? And is the Holy Spirit living within you? Say yes. 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 That's who we are. The Holy Spirit is living within us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, refers back again to chapter 7, where Paul teaches that Christians are free from the law of sin and death, but alive in Christ. We also serve God through the Spirit. So in other words, we're able to live this Christian life because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And because of that, we are no longer under the condemnation of God. We're no longer condemned. Someone read for me Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So the person, whoever does not believe, is condemned. But we're no, because we've accepted Christ, we're not under the condemnation of God. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Should this part of the verse be in the Bible? Okay. Now, I'm going to pull out the pen, throw the grenade. When Erasmus put together the Textus Receptus for the King James Bible, or King James, he took the manuscripts that they had at that time, and then they, they used everything from the Latin Vulgate, uh, etc., and they put together a Greek manuscript of the Old and New Testament called the Textus Receptus. And they used that then to translate in the King's language the King James Version of the Bible. After that version was created, Alexandrian texts were found that were earlier in date closer to the time of the writing than those manuscripts that they had before. Now, there's no question. Some of the Alexandrian texts had errors in them, more so than even some of the Textus Receptus um, manuscripts that they had. So some had argued, no, we can't trust that. But clearly, these were manuscripts that were used in the writings of the translations of Scripture. In every, now this, should it be there, shouldn't it be there? That's up for us to decide. In every early manuscript, none of them, not even one, had who walked not after the flesh but after the spirit. In the two places is Romans 8. What we found, what they find is, is that there's probably, it was written in by a scholar who's translating it, monks who are translating it, because they wanted to provide clarity. Because it, it, to just say, you're no longer condemned in Christ, then it gives the idea almost like, like Romans 6 would did. Shall we continue in sin that grace be abound? Hey, I can live any way I want to. God forbid. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned. I can live any way I want to. God forbid. So a, a scribe went in and probably they look at it. They've seen these in the manuscripts. This has been written in. So should it be there? Probably not. Is the understanding of what Paul was trying to communicate significant? 
and understandable by that phrase. Absolutely. So was it more of a commentary? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because those who are in Christ Jesus do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. So it's kind of like, here's the idea. And this is the message that I want to try to communicate today. And this is not about um, inerrancy of the Bible. I want to make that clear. You can go to multiple passages in the Bible and you can find this several times. Mark 16 is another place when it talks about snake handling, etc. The earlier, none of them had that passage from, from verse 9 on uh, to 20 in Mark 16. It doesn't exist in any of the manuscripts, but, they, but it's there in the King James. Fine. Should it be there? That's why the NIV includes it. That's why newer translations include these passages, because they're not 100% sure that it shouldn't be there. The point is this, though. If you're in this classroom, and you go, I'm a Christian, but your heart, your passion, is for the things of the flesh, and not for the things of the spirit, question your salvation. But, hey, no, 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 I'm not going to question my salvation because I prayed a prayer. That prayer means nothing without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. In other words, did you even understand it? And that goes back to the parable of the sower. The seed was received. The first one that receives it didn't understand what they were doing. And Satan came and took it away. And they bore no fruit. So it, are there people who think, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Are, are they all going to go to heaven because they prayed a prayer? Absolutely not. And I'm not trying to cause anyone in here to question your salvation. What I do want you to do is what it's a litmus test. First John does the same thing. First John says, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, how can you be a follower of Christ? You're none of his. So there are things given in the Bible that kind of say, hey, you better check yourself. Is, are you being authentic? Because you know what? There are Christians or excuse me, there are people who say they live the Christian life. They go to church, etc. But their heart is far from God. Not just carnal Christians. There are carnal Christians who are living their life, but they're living in rebellion. Okay, we understand that. Paul addressed that in Corinthians as well. But the issue is, do you walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? And I think that's ultimately what this, this these individuals who transcribed the Bible, someone put it in there, and it was then redone to say, you know what, make sure you're clear on this issue. Yes, you're no longer condemned. You're not under the condemnation of God. And can I get a hearty amen on that one? <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus. Okay? And the way that you know that, because of, the, of chapter 8 dealing with the Holy Spirit, is that you're walking after the spirit, not after the flesh. That doesn't mean that you don't sin. 1 John 1 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But when we confess that he's faithful just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So ultimately, the, the, my point in adding this commentary in here is this. Is that, yes, you are no longer under the condemnation of God. But the heart of whoever wrote this in here was just make sure that you're walking after the passions of the spirit and not after the passions of the flesh. Yeah. 
I think this is a great example, Lou, of why when we do uh, biblical interpretation or when we, watch, when we study the Bible, we don't rely on a single verse that, you know, pull a verse out and that means everything, that it has to be compared with the rest of the scripture. Because that exact same phrase appears in verse 4. And so, I mean, it's, it's there. It's just not in both versions in, in verse 1. Right. Yeah, there's actually, none of the earlier manuscripts had it in either place. Um, and so, but that's, again, that's still debated. Yeah, so it's just for clarity. But I think the spirit of what was trying to be communicated here is absolute. And again, here's something very important to understand. I don't worship the Bible. I believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God as it correctly is the, the original manuscripts, as it adequately reproduces the original manuscripts. Okay, so as we, and, and there is no controversy today about what we have in the Bible. Theology, anything like that. 99% of the Bible, we are 100% sure on. 1% of the Bible has some issues. Is this date right? Is this, uh, is this number correct? Why is it different here and it's different here? And there's various reasons for all of that. But we can be fully, fully, fully convinced that it is an error. As it adequately reproduces that original manuscripts, I'm convinced it does. But again, if I find out in heaven that this verse, that this verse, that that second part of verse one should be there, I'm not going to be up to. I'm, I'm not accepting Christ. I got a bad manuscript. Are you kidding me? No. Okay. We have a new life because of the Holy Spirit. We have a new life. Romans eight two to thirteen. Because through Christ Jesus, okay, so now there's no, therefore no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit those who live according to the flesh this is in there by the way okay those who live that is in all manuscripts those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires so the spirit is already there in those verses regardless okay and that, to your point, Donna, even after that, right after it, it comes back in. And he's trying to explain it. The mind governed by the flesh is death. So in other words, if all you're thinking about is fleshly things, sinful stuff, your focus of your whole life is on making yourself happy, fulfilling your own desires, making sure that, you know, that you're, the, you're number one, that you're taking care of, that you're, you're living in pride, etc., that's living according to the flesh. Okay? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And there are people who live like Christians until something comes up into their life and they go, nah, that's never me in the first place. That's not who I want to live like. This is the way I want to live my life, and I'm going to live the way I want to. That's, they're kind of revealing then at times who they really are. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, who know Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. 
You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so I think this is why the writer kind of puts it back at the beginning, whoever the transcribers were of the scriptures, kind of like, hey, let me give this to you in a nutshell. This makes more sense. Okay? But ultimately, the idea, don't live by the flesh. Live by the Spirit. So we have a new life. Because we now have a new life, we are set free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer under the law of sin and death. How? Did you have fun? Absolutely. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We are set free from the law because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And receiving that truth, we believe in that truth, we've been set free. Great job. Our sin has been condemned to the flesh. We are no longer required to pay for that sin. Romans 3, 24 to 26. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before him unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So our sin has been condemned in the flesh because of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did for us. Our sin uh, not only has been forgiven, but he's given us eternal life. Romans 6.23. Someone read that for me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift so we earn death because of sin, but the free gift of salvation comes because of Jesus Christ, and it's eternal life, because he's our Lord. Our minds are set on what the Spirit desires. It gives us life and peace. How are our minds set on what the Spirit desires? How, how is your mind set on what the Spirit desires? In the word, in prayer. Yeah. And like you said, you know, every morning you need to get up and say, Lord, I die to myself, you know, and, and let this day be what you want it to be. You give your day each and every day when you wake up over to him, letting know, Lord, you need to go, not me. Excellent. Does your spirit bear witness with his spirit that you're a child of God? Think about this. The Holy Spirit who lives in you will give you a desire for the things of God. Do you have a desire for the things of God? Are you passionate for the things of God? Are you passionate about righteousness? 
Are you passionate about the things of God? And if you are, that doesn't come from the flesh. The flesh will never go, no, no sin. Do what God wants you to do. That's not what the flesh is going to do. Okay? The flesh doesn't want to, the flesh is wanting to lie to you. Go ahead. You're already forgiven. Just do it. It's all good. It's okay. Relax. They deserve it. Think about what the Holy Spirit does in relation to the flesh. How is it different? Having the Holy Spirit living within us different from when we were not saved. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. We now have new possibilities and it's like a whole new world opens up to us. There's people to help. There's people to be kind to and to love and there's a, a good news to be shared. And so there's, there's this it's almost like you put on different glasses so you see the world as a different story other than everything's about me and what I get and how people treat me and what I want from them and manipulating and deceiving and, and running the show and having to keep myself safe. It all changes when you trust Christ. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? <clears throat> I, I, I mean, I can remember as a kid at nine years of age in the Alliance uh, United Methodist Church, Beecher United Methodist Church, Joe Cubbage preaches a message. I walk forward as nine and I accept Christ. Shortly thereafter, I'm on the front porch. My dad's sitting on the front porch and tears are coming down my face. And my dad looks at me and he goes, what's wrong with you? I go, dad, I just got to tell people about Jesus. And I'll, I'll never forget what he said because it devastated me as a nine-year-old. Because we weren't trained in this. The United Methodists didn't, at the church that we went to, didn't promote evangelism at all. In fact, that was the last time an invitation was given in that church. Wow. That was it. No more. And my dad said, well, maybe one day when you go off to college, someone will teach you how to do that. <laughs> At nine, that seems like forever. <laughs> that devastated me. But at the same time, where does that come from? Where does a nine-year-old want to tell people about Jesus? Unless the Holy Spirit's living within them. Mm -hmm. That change that can happen. The change that occurs. I'll never forget Several, obviously, several years ago. Most of you in here will remember. How many of you remember Larry King? Okay? I'll never forget watching Larry King. And most of you know Alan Baldwin. Okay? You know the controversy recently about the shooting and all that kind of thing. His brother, Stephen, actor as well, less known. Okay? But I remember watching that interview. And Larry King... Asked him, you were a liberal like your brother. What happened? He said, my life changed when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. My, he says, yeah, go to commercial. <laughs> he said, literally, he goes, I was, it was, it was a completely different mindset. I was walking one direction and now I'm walking in the opposite direction. That's a paraphrase. But that's what he basically said. Yeah. I'd just like to point out something. That last sentence there where it says, how do we train our minds to follow that, what the Spirit desires? I experienced that when I was in an induced coma when I was sick in the hospital. Uh, the devil is roaming. He's trying to 
through the word of God, through the memorization of scripture, through prayer, through fellowship. When you, again, what you've chosen to do here. Let me tell you something. You can choose to do a lot of things this morning. And there's a lot of people, a lot of the new culture of today, 
is you don't need church. You don't need going. You can do this. You can live the Christian life on your own. God never called us to isolation. He called us to live in community. We're here for each other to encourage, support, find someone, bless them, encourage them, help them. Live your faith together as the body of believers. See each other as friends. See each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage each other. Meet each other. And serve each other. The Spirit of God lives up in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So in other words, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. That's why you are holy, because of the Holy Spirit living within you. He's declared you to be so. And God lives within you. Although our bodies die, the Spirit gives us life. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, Luke. To bring who? To bring me to God. To bring you to God. See, that's what Jesus does. He, he bridges us the gap between us and the Father. And he's bringing, bringing us to the Father. He was put to death in the body, but was made alive by the Spirit. And we willingly put to death the sinful deeds of the body. So we willingly choose to do that. I'm choosing to deny my flesh. Even when I want to get angry, I, I need to curb back the whole. No, stop. I, I should get angry about that. Yeah, angry at sin. The fruits of the Spirit should, should come out every moment of my life. The Spirit lives within me. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. All of these things should be coming out. How I talk to my spouse, how I talk to my children, how I talk to my grandchildren, how I talk to you, how I talk to the students, how I talk to my peers, how I talk to my authorities. And Lou, right after the fruit of the Spirit, it says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Yeah. Now, now I know it's, this is not a little translation, but keeping step with the Spirit, it's a little awkward at first, but learn how to dance with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, walking with Him in everything that we do. It's beautiful. How do we do it, though? How do we do that? Die to self. Die to self. Let them lead. Summer Wemp used to say years ago, who's in the driver's seat? You don't let Jesus just take the wheel when you're in trouble. Yeah. I think it's important when we sin to immediately ask God to forgive us. Yes. Immediately confess it. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Get back into this walking in your the spirit again. But let me just remind you again of something. The Holy Spirit lives within you. There's no condemnation. But what you do is a choice. Energy. Food is energy, right? Works is energy. What you do 
feeds one of the other to give it the energy. If you feed the flesh, the flesh strengthens. If you feed the spirit, the spirit strengthens in your life. So the question then is, who are you feeding? Who are you feeding? It's the choice that we have. If I choose, I know. When I choose, have you ever, okay, you don't have to say amen, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have, let me testify, okay. But, have you ever sinned and didn't confess it right away, and it was easier to sin again because you sinned once? Have you ever felt that way? Just think about that. That's why confession is so important. Because we've got to agree with God that was wrong, and you get back to righteous living. Otherwise, it just starts to snowball. You just start to live a lifestyle. It's like, okay, I did it once. God didn't kill me. I guess I'll try it again. And we just keep going. We're feeding the flesh, and we start living by the flesh. But if we feed the Spirit, we're going to be strengthened by the Spirit to do the right things. And that's everything, including taking communion today, in which we examine ourselves. To make sure that there's nothing wicked in us. And we confess that sin and take that. But living by the Holy Spirit, we have a new relationship with God. Finally, with Romans 8, 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. See, we... Act as we, we, we've come into this relationship as a slave, as one who stewards everything to the Father. But God's perspective on us, no, no, you're not a slave anymore. You are my child. You've been bought, brought about by the adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Do you have that confirmation from the Holy Spirit today? Do you have that confirmation? Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You're an heir of Jesus Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Because if you're living on this earth and you're doing the will of God, you will suffer. And it's, all, it's not just persecution by a foreign government. You're going to suffer things on this earth that you look at others and go, how can they be not, not a Christian be seemingly blessed by God? You're not being blessed by God. But you're experiencing some of the sufferings because of the, the light and work that God is trying to do in and through you. So we're the children of God. John 1, 1 through, uh, 11 through 13. Someone read that for me. Huge understanding here, real quick. I hear it all the time. Not from this class, because I think you get it. But everyone on this earth is not God's children. We're not all God's children. What does the scripture teach us? Yet all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are the children of God when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We've been born of God. We have been born again. We call God Abba, which is Aramaic for Father. How is God a Father to you? How is God your Father? Anyone want to briefly share? How is God your Father? Yeah. I worked at a, um, a treatment center, a residential treatment center for teenagers, and I, I taught math. I was part of the school part, but um, I heard horrible stories of what these kids had lived through. And I remember going home and just sobbing while I drove and said, how, God, are people gonna relate to you who had a father like that, that did that? And he said, Diane, I am father enough for everyone. You just point them to me. I can make up to them the years the locusts have eaten point them to me. I am the father that everyone has ever dreamed that they would have. Understanding, available, listening, opening doors of opportunity, providing for them what they need. He said, I am father. Just point them to me. Amen. That's, that's what we should do. Point people to father. And you know what, men, males, who, who uh, <laughs> those of us who have had the privilege of having children, You haven't been a perfect father. You haven't. I haven't either. My girls can testify. Please don't. <laughs> but you know what? God, the Father, it, it's not an excuse. We try our best to do what God's called us to do. But at the same time, they have a father too that loves them more than I do. And sometimes when we think, and we beat ourselves up at times because we think, you know what, I could have done this better, I could have done that better, maybe this wouldn't have happened, maybe that wouldn't have happened. No. God loves them more than I do. God is their father and will always be your father in a way that I could never be. And he loves you unconditionally. will always be there for you, for each of us. For each of us. Father. My father's gone. I can't pick up the phone and call him. But I can call my Heavenly Father at any time. The Holy Spirit confirms this within us, this truth. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Man. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. Joint heirs. Now that's an inheritance. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we worship you. We love you. Teach us, Lord, what it means to walk in your spirit. Teach us what it means to be filled with your spirit. Teach us what it means to be indwelt by your spirit. And God, may we choose to be holy. May we choose to love you. May we choose to love each other. 
and to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. God, the flesh is death. Its desires are unsatisfying. But the spirit is life and hope and peace. Help us not to be fooled by Satan's lies. But may our minds be renewed through your word and in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Keep walking in the spirit, folks.